Okay, guys, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 38 through 41 today, here in a few moments. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 41. Again, the title of the message today is The Sign of Jonah. So we're, even though we're not in the book of Jonah, we started Jonah last week, we are continuing with the theme of Jonah by looking at the sign of Jonah. In John chapter 15, verse 23, Jesus says this, He who hates me, hates my Father also. Uh, He was having a discussion with His disciples about Him being the vine and them being the branches. And a few verses down, He made that statement, He who hates me, hates my Father also. Really preparing them for ministry. What to expect. And... The group of men he's going to be having a conversation with today, the scribes and the Pharisees, this described them. You know, there's many many people in this world, the the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Jewish leaders, they fit that category where they claim to love God. they, they, They professed to know the one true God. They were the children of God, but yet they had a hatred towards Jesus Christ. And so that's very important to remember those words of Christ. He who hates me, hates my Father also. There's many like that today. Uh, They they say they love God. But when you bring up the name of Jesus Christ and start teaching about who Jesus Christ is and what He has done, the truth comes out. And so we know that, uh, that that is a true statement from the Lord Jesus Christ that a person, no matter what they claim, when the truth comes out about a person's view upon Christ, it reviews how they truly feel about God. And so these were the these were these are the the wicked hypocrites is the is the name Jesus has for these religious leaders of his day that he's that he's having this conversation with in this text that we're looking at today. Jesus was continually revealing in dealing with the, the scribes and the Pharisees, these Jewish religious leaders, what was behind their mass. They were they wore mass, spiritually speaking. If you look at the definition of a hypocrite, that's what it says. It's a, it's, a, it's a play actor. And that's who these men were. They were religious hypocrites. And so by the time that they asked for a sign, we're going to see that in the text we're going to read today. By the time that we get to this point that these leaders had asked Jesus for a sign, their opposition had turned into full hatred. We can get a glimpse of that in chapter 12, verse 14. This was after he had, um, after they had accused him of breaking the Sabbath, and he said, or, or the text says this in, in Matthew twelve fourteen. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. So you can see this opposition is is, is full fledged hatred by now. This was even before, right after that, he accused them of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. If you remember that in that text. We can see in verse 33, in 33 through 37, right before the text we're going to look at, the scathing rebuke he gives these religious hypocrites. He said, Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make a tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. 
The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And of course, this is coming right after that these men had accused Christ, number one, of breaking the Sabbath, and of that He had cast out in, in the beginning of the chapter, he cast out a demon in a man and they accused him of doing it in the power of Satan. How much more blasphemous can you get when you have the God-man standing in your midst, performing miracles, and you, you accuse his works as being done by the power of Satan. And so they had failed in all their accusation that he was doing. Everything that, that they accused him of, of his of his both of his teaching and his works um, of being unscriptural. And they, and they failed in these accusations. Obviously, he was perfect, right? He was the perfect God-man, perfect in word, thought, or deed. So they kept trying to accuse him. And they kept failing. And he was humiliating them. you got to understand about these religious leaders, guys, is they cared what people think. The Bible calls them men-pleasers. That's who these men were. So they cared about what the people thought, what the crowds thought. So they were going to try. The, the context of what we're going to be looking at today, when they ask for a sign, they're going to try once again to discredit Him. That's their motive for doing what they do. By demanding a special sign that in their minds, they think He's unable to do. So they think they're finally going to discredit this deceiver. Proving Him to be an imposter and a deceiver, and it would save their reputations. That's what these men were about, their reputations. He had humiliated them. Again, they are men-pleasers. It helps us to understand that. When Jesus is dealing with these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these scribes, the Sadducees at different times, they are men-pleasers. Listen, listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3.10. Remember Paul, who was he? Before his conversion, Saul of Tarsus, and he was a Pharisee. He said in Galatians 3.10, Am I still or am I am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So the Apostle Paul, he was one of these men. And so that's what these men are known about. It's all outward, it's a show. They put on a show by all the religious works and all the religious garb that they wear. But Jesus said, your hearts are far from me. So that's, that's who He's speaking with in, um, in Matthew 12. We'll read verse 38 through 41. This is our text today. I have a main point today. If you want to think of the main point of the sermon that I would like you to leave with, it's this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest historical event ever and it demands a response from you. Okay? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest historical event ever, and it demands a response from everybody. Okay? So Matthew 12. If you wouldn't mind standing one more time, guys, for four verses. This is the text we're going to be going through today. Matthew 12, 38-41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, 
and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. You guys can be seated. Let me pray for us real quickly. Father, we once again, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for giving us Your Word. Um, you didn't have to, God, but you, you did. You've given us Your Word and we praise You for it. We thank You for it. And Father, I just ask that You would help me to communicate Your Word today, that You would encourage and equip Your people today, that Your Word would go forth with uh, convicting power from Your Holy Spirit today, Lord, uh, and do a transforming work in all of our lives, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I have four points today, very simple, very simple, four verses, four points. And the first one is this. We're going to look at verse 38 and we're going to look, take a look at these hardened hypocrites. These hardened hypocrites. And we've already discussed, discussed them briefly, but these Jewish religious leaders, these scribes and Pharisees, he said, verse 38 says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. These Jewish religious leaders, the scribes, were known as the supreme interpreters and teachers of the law. That's what they were known for. Known for their, and the Pharisees were known for their supposed piety. Their supposed piety, their supposed godliness, and their teaching that the Jews should observe all 600 plus laws in the Torah, including all of the ceremonial cleansing laws. And, in addition to all that, all of their tradition that they added to it. That's what these men were known for. And so they used the term teacher. It says, some of these religious gurus, the scribes and Pharisees, said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from him. If you had the King James or the New King James, it'll say Master. Okay? It's a, it's a term that has high respect. It would have. That's, that's what it's communicating. That they supposedly have a high respect towards Christ in front of the crowds. But it was all pretense. It was all an act. Again, they're hypocrites. They're play actors. This is a, both a sarcastic and a hypocritical statement. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. You've got to remember, these men, they thought he was a heretic and a blasphemer. Accusing him of doing these works by the deeds of the, or by the power of the devil. This was all phony. Again, what are they trying to do? They're trying to expose Christ. They have failed at every point. And so they're trying to expose him. What, what kind of sign do you think they're asking for? I think we can get a glimpse in that. Just flip over Matthew 16, 1 through 4. This is a different account, but with some more religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees. You see them asking him this question often. The Pharisees, Matthew 16, 1-4, the Pharisees and Sadducees came up testing Jesus. They asked Him to show them a sign from heaven. That's the kind of sign they're asking for. And you can see the context that in verse 4, He says the same thing. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and the sign will not be given to it except the sign of Jonah. 
So, so what are these men asking for? They're, they're asking for a sign, but a particular type of sign. A sign from heaven. A sign from heaven. What would that be? Well, it doesn't tell us exactly, but something to do with the heavens. Maybe the stars or the moon or the sun. Do, do some kind of miraculous sign for us, teacher. Maybe, maybe make the constellations move around and do a dance for us. Something that, that man or the devil couldn't do, but only God. Could you see them thinking that and their, their arrogance? Something that only God to do, again, in their minds, that obviously He couldn't do. So they're trying to expose Him. But what about all of His other miracles that He had done? He had done thousands of miracles. We think about all the miracles He had done. Healing people, right? Causing people without an arm to grow an arm. Giving sight to the blind. Feeding the thousands, the multitudes. With just a little bit of bread and a few fish. Feeding crowds of thousands. Casting out demons, which He just, which he just did. Raising the dead. What about these miracles? They couldn't deny these miracles. All they could do was accuse Him of doing it in the power of the devil. These miracles were not only miraculous, but they were compassionate and sympathetic. He was not only demonstrating that He was God in the flesh, but He was demonstrating the very heart of God, right? If you have seen, the, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. And so these are, again, these are hardened hypocrites, these men. They didn't love God, Right? We love God. That's what they claimed. But Jesus said, if, if you hate Me, you hate the Father. You don't know God. Matter of fact, in John chapter 8, He said, your Father is the devil. That's who these men were. They didn't love God and they didn't love people. They could care less the miracles that He did for the, for the people. They didn't love God. They didn't love people. They cared about one thing, their reputation. They were greedy. They were immoral. They were arrogant. They were prideful. And the scary thing is, guys, in this first first verse, we're just looking at who these men are. But what's scary is we have many many in our churches today who are very similar. Sitting in church, they have the... I mean, these men have the light, the, 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 the light of the world, the light who had come into the world, the Son of God in their midst, teaching in the synagogues demonstrating who He was, and yet their hearts grew harder and harder. We have many in our churches today that are in church maybe for their reputation. You know, maybe to appear good, to appear godly, to appear holy. But they have no love for Christ. Right? Jesus said, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. If you love Me, you'll follow Me. Right? You'll have a love for Me and, and, and you'll have a love for people, which these men didn't have. You have, many, you have many in our day professing to be Christian. And yet they could care less if people die and go to hell. So these, these are things we need to look at our own hearts. But that's who these men were. These, these were the religious crowd of that day. And they were hardened hypocrites. Secondly, we'll see in, in verse 39, we're going to see heaven's true sign. Okay, Heaven's true sign. In verse 39, but he answered and said to them. So they asked him, show us a sign. We want to see a sign. Miraculous sign. He, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation 
craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. He says, an evil and adulterous generation. This is a, this is a regular Old Testament metaphor for a rebellion against God. And these men know that. That's why these men hate him. He's always, he's always stopping them in their tracks. So this is, a, this is primarily a spiritual statement. The, an evil and adulterous generation. He's primarily talking about their spiritual adultery. But many of these hypocrites were also involved in polygamy and also frequent divorces okay, for trivial reasons. Like for if a wife burnt his toast, he would, there'd be reasons to divorce. And that's not a joke. These men were, they were adulterers, immoral. But listen to what John MacArthur says, because I think more so it's, it's, it's speaking about their spiritual adultery. He says, during the Babylonian captivity, Jews had forsaken formal idolatry. Okay, formal idolatry in the sense of worshiping physical objects. You know, like you read about in the Old Testament, they would get a piece of wood and use some of it to cook with and some of it to worship as their God. The, the prophets would mock them. So it said they, they had forsaken formal idolatry in the sense of worshiping physical objects carved from wood, stone, or metal, but in its place, they erected idols of man-made tradition. That's who these men are. In which they trusted and put their hope in. They had abandoned the Canaanite gods for ones of their own making. And in doing so, were just as much in rebellion against the true God as when, as when their forefathers had offered sacrifices to Baal or Moloch. These men were still idolaters, right? Idolatry comes in all shapes and sizes. You don't have to bow down and worship an image to be an idolater. So these men were idolaters. They, they were worshiping a God literally that they are forming in their own minds. By their, by their traditions. These were idolatrous people. Romans 1 speaks about idolatry. Um, worshiping what these men were doing. Worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Something they had created. Flip over Romans 1 real quickly. I think it's real important. Because sometimes we can, we can think of idolaters as being a certain category of people. But really it's a... Uh, it's what you could call one of the, uh, really, the, 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 the core sins, original sins. The sin of idolatry. It's, 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 the, it's what is underneath it all. Men are idolaters. So Romans 1, 18-25 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Why? Because that which is known about God is evident within them. Do you hear the language there? That men know God. That men know the true God, but they suppress the truth about God. And why do they know God? Because that which is known about God is evident within them. Why? For God made it evident. That's on the inside, guys. We're made in the image of God and men know it. Okay? God makes it evident. He reveals Himself to men. 
It says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So we see, we see God makes it evident inside a person and through His creation. And it says, because of all this, men are without excuse. These Pharisees, these scribes are without excuse. People sitting in churches today or outside of churches today, they're without excuse. God has revealed Himself. It says in verse 21, for even though they knew God, this is, this is not talking about some particular God, this is talking about the one true God, the Creator God, the one and only God. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. It could be an image that they create with their hands. It could be an image that they, somebody creates with their minds. Hey, I like this God better. I think I'm going to worship this God. That's idolatry. And it says, Professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, Exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. What follows idolatry? Immorality. Always. God gives them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For Verse 25, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. False religion falls under that. Men reject the one true God that they know holds them accountable and they worship the creature. They worship something that's created. False religion is created by man. The one true God has made Himself known. And there is no hiding from Him. You will be without excuse on the day of judgment if you reject the one true God who has revealed Himself to you in, in your conscience. He's written His law upon your heart. Ecclesiastes said He has put eternity in our hearts. We know there's something more. God has done that for you. So that you would reach out to Him. Okay? So that's what these men are. These men are nothing more than idolaters. And he says this, No sign shall be given. He says no sign shall be given in verse 39. He said an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given. Why, why, is he not gonna, why will a sign not be given? Because he didn't have the power to? No. No, we know Jesus, Jesus is God in the flesh. He's, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He could do anything He want with the stars and the, the sun and the moon. He created them. No. Christ, Christ may, and He actually did provide evidence and miracles for what you would call maybe sincere seekers, but not for wicked, arrogant, blaspheming hypocrites who are trying to mock Him. He's not going to give them a sign that they're asking for. He's also omniscient. He's not only 
omnipotent, He's all-powerful. He's, he's omniscient, meaning He's all-knowing. He knows their wicked motives. He knows their wicked motives. We see that throughout the Gospels. The verse we read earlier, chapter 12, verse 14, what does it say? But the Pharisees went out and conspired against Him as to how they might destroy Him. And then in verse 24 and 25, the same of this chapter, it says, when the Pharisees... When the Pharisees heard this, that he had cast out a demon in an individual, they said, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, which is, which is implying by the power of the devil, uh, the ruler of the demons. So they're accusing him of casting out demons by the power of demons. And, and look at verse 25. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself it will not stand. So He's omnipotent and He's omniscient. Christ is not deceived by what they're up to. He knows what they're up to, okay? And beloved, He knows what you and I are up to as well, okay? We can't, we can't deceive God. We can't hide from God. We can't trick God. We can't think we're going to outsmart God or fool God. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. He knows our hearts. And so they had a lot of nerve. These religious leaders, they had a lot of nerve. All of the miracles that Christ had committed in His ministry, and they ascribed them to Satan. Wicked, wicked blasphemy is what these men are guilty of. But He says, still in verse 39, He says, Yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Not a, not a sign from heaven, which they were asking. Show us a sign from the heavens. But it's actually one that's going to happen in the earth. But I entitled point number true, this, this, this sign's going to be from the earth, but it's actually heaven's true sign. Okay, It's not a sign in the heavens, but it's heaven's true sign is what He's going to give them. This would not be a sign for their conviction or for their convincing. Right? They're wanting a sign. Show us a sign to convince us that you really are from God. But the sign He's going to give them, as we're going to see, it's not for their conviction or for their convincing, but rather for their condemnation. That's what the sign is going to be for these hardened hypocrites. Uh, just to recap what we read briefly in the first chapter of Jonah, to, to, to really help us understand the sign of Jonah, the Lord commanded the prophet Jonah that we read about to go to Nineveh and warn them that judging or that judgment is coming because of their wickedness. Jonah decides to dis to disobey, he gets on a boat and flees, tries to flee the presence of the Lord to Tarshish, the opposite direction of Nineveh. And then we see the Lord sent a storm and frightened the pagan sailors. They cast lots to see who was responsible and it fell on Jonah. He told them who he was, where he was from, and what he was, that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He told them to throw him into the sea and that the storm would cease. So they did what Jonah instructed them to do. They threw him overboard, and then we see them fearfully, humbly, and prayerfully offering a sacrifice to the Lord. 
That's what we see leading up to verse 17 in Jonah chapter 1 that we read. The last, the last verse in chapter 1 that really is um, tied with our text today. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. So we know that this is the sign that Jesus is referring to because He says it in the very next verse, in verse 40. That's what He says. For just as Jonah was there three days and three nights in the belly of the fish or the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the earth. So in other words, here's your sign. You want a sign? Here's your sign. Do you remember your Hebrew Scriptures? In other words, He's asking these men. Of course they they knew their Hebrew Scriptures. But they were blind. These men were blind, spiritually blind. Turn to Luke chapter 24 real quickly. We can see um, something real important here. We read this on Wednesday night, I believe. But Luke chapter 24. In verse 44 through 46, this is Christ talking to His disciples before He ascended to heaven. He said, now he, or it says, Now He said to them, These are My words which I speak to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about Me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, Everything that's written about me in the Old Testament must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. So he says, all of these things that are, that are uh, written about me in, in the Old Testament, in other words, must be fulfilled. And so Jonah, as we're going to see, Jonah as a type of Christ, okay? It's a, it, this is a picture of Christ, what we're seeing. A type. Jonah as a type of Christ in the belly of the fish will soon be fulfilled. Which is what we're celebrating today. This picture of Christ, Jonah being in this fish, is, he's saying it's, it must be fulfilled. And it's going to be fulfilled. And so beloved... Before we move to point three, if, if you and I read the Old Testament and miss Christ, we need to go back and read it again. If you miss Christ in the Old Testament, you're missing the Old Testament. It all points to Him. Even, even a man in the belly of a fish. It's not just a story. It points to something. It points to Christ. And, and then further, if you, if you miss Christ in your life, like these men, if you miss Christ, you miss it all. You miss, you miss the purpose of life if you miss Christ. A person may sit in church 20, 30, 40, 50 years. They may teach Sunday school. They may preach behind a pulpit. But if they miss Christ, they miss it all. They're going to hear Lord. Or they're going to say Lord, Lord on that day. And they're going to hear depart from me. I never knew you. Don't miss Christ. A man could go to seminary and, 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 and know everything theologically up here and be able to speak with eloquence, but if, they, if he misses Christ, what's it going to profit him? You could quote Scripture. You could just 
You could be the most appearance-wise, the most holy religious man, but if you miss Christ, you've missed it all. Okay? That's what these Pharisees and these religious guys of this day can teach us. These people had Jesus Christ in their midst and they missed Him. And they missed Him. So thirdly, let's see, in verse 40, we're going to see His resurrection. Okay? We're going to see His resurrection, which is what this sign points to. In in Luke 11, verse 30, you don't have to turn there. It's just another another account of of this sign of Jonah. But in Luke 11.30 it says, For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man to this generation. Okay, so he's, again, he's connecting Jonah and himself. Okay, so for the Ninevites, the sign was clearly the reappearance of a man from the dead. Guys, he was in the belly of a fish. Okay? He was in the belly of a fish and now he's here. Let, let's uh I'm trying not to be this is not really too much of a sarcastic statement, but but sometimes a good exegetical tool or hermeneutical tool, how we interpret scripture, okay? Sometimes you can just use common sense. This man was in the belly of a large fish for three days. I think people would notice as he's walking through Nineveh. There's something different about this guy, the way he looks. You think of uh, maybe the fish's stomach acid. And, and it doesn't say for sure, but very high chance that his skin was bleached white. But obviously you could tell, right? You could tell if a man, man, you don't look good. Well, yeah, I've been in the, I've been in the belly of a big fish. <laughs> but that's what really happened. He was in the belly of a fish and now he's walking through this this city with a a message of doom. And and apart from his physical appearance, you know that he was telling people, I've just been in the belly of a fish because I disobeyed God and I'm here to tell a message. Maybe I don't love you, but I'm going to tell the message. So So the sign, in other words, the sign of Jonah is Jonah himself. That he's out of the belly of the fish. Uh, in, in, in John, in John chapter 2, 18 and 19. We'll read that real quick. You can turn there if you want. John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. We see something about a sign. Again, Jesus talking to some of these religious leaders, the Jews then said to Him in verse 18, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again. Talking about His resurrection once again. Destroy this temple. And and they they thought He was talking about uh, the temple. He was talking about His body. So Jonah, in other words, Jonah was swallowed by a fish, right? Belched up onto the land, went and had a message from God to these people. 
And Jesus said, you want a sign? Destroy this temple. I'll raise it again in three days. So Jonah and Jesus are themselves signs to their generation. They are the signs. And it says in verse, in, back in Matthew 12, in verse 40, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Three days and three nights. The Jewish reading of days, it just meant part of three natural days, okay? So, so actually, in all actuality, there was one whole day and part of two days. Part of, part of Friday, all of Saturday, part of Sunday. But the Jewish method of counting days, a part of a day is as a whole, okay? Because sometimes people will try to argue against that. It wasn't really in there for three whole days, but that's how they counted days. It says, in the heart of the earth, Okay, so again, very simple. As compared to the surface. That means he was buried. He was in a tomb. Not, because I've heard people teach that, well, no, that just means he went to hell for three days. No, that's not what it's saying. As if hell's in the earth. No, it just means he was buried. He wasn't on the surface. He was in the heart of the earth three days. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days as good as dead. From a human perspective. But after three days, he showed himself alive. So the sign of Jonah is not then some miracle that Jonah performed. It was just that Jonah was alive from the dead. In other words, out of the belly of the fish. It it was Jonah himself. And the sign Jesus will give to his adversaries is his resurrection from the dead. Okay? That's the simple connection. And also, I noted this last week, but it's important to remember, in declaring, in this account, where we see Jesus speaking about this man called Jonah, and declaring that Jonah was a type of himself, right? He was a type of himself, a type of his literal resurrection. He is verifying the historical account of Jonah. It's not an allegory, it's not a parable. Jesus is declaring the historical account of Jonah. Not just that he was an historical figure, but comparing his identifying Jonah's being in the belly with his literal resurrection. How much more real, much of a more real emphasis could he put on Jonah? And so sadly for many, like these men, sadly for many, it, the resurrection, will be to their condemnation. It's a sad reality. We read it in our New Testament reading in Matthew chapter 28. But if you remember, I don't remember what verse, maybe verse 15, right around there. Many of these Jewish leaders paid off the soldiers to lie about Christ's resurrection. These men who were eyewitnesses of the risen Christ, they were paid off by these deceivers. So just, just increasing their guilt. Remember what the Apostle Paul said, In Romans chapter 2, he said, But according to your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. That's what these men are doing. It's it's like a man that you see on the news in a high-speed car chase, right? You, You see them where it breaks in live, and you see this guy just running from the police, and he breaks this law, and he runs this light, and he hits this car, 
And he's just, you're just going, dude, you're just making it worse for yourself. Just pull over. Get, they're going to catch you. But he keeps going and going and going. He's storing up his judgment. And that's what these men are doing. That's what sinners do today. They hear the truth about Christ. And because they're unwilling to repent, it says they are storing up wrath for themselves that's going to be revealed in the day of wrath. When God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. So we can learn from these men, these eyewitnesses of the risen Christ, paid, they were paid off by these, by these religious men. But others praise God, others, and even Jew, the, the Jews, and even some of the Jewish leaders, Paul being one of them. But others, the resurrection is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? That's our greatest hope is the resurrection. You remember Peter's great sermon in Acts chapter 2. Who was he preaching to? The Jews, right? He pointed out and said, you nailed your Messiah to the cross. And it says they, they were convicted of their sin. They said, they says they were pricked in their heart. And they said, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Because of the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized. So, so the resurrection, beloved, and, and really the gospel in and of itself, the gospel message is great news. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Him, okay, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So the gospel's great news for the believing ones. But Jesus says, the one who rejects me, I believe it's in John 12, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge and the word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. What's he saying? The one who rejects me and hears my words, right? Think of a person sitting in church week after week after week after week. Or maybe their friend shares Christ with them. Many times they hear the word, they reject it. Jesus says the very word, my very words will be His judge on that day. That's a scary thing. The more, the more truth you hear, the more accountable a person will be to God. So the gospel is great news, but it's also a message of condemnation for those who harden their hearts. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we don't, wanna, we don't want to... Um, Oh, I, I, the, the word I'm thinking of, but we don't want to presume upon the grace of God. The grace of God. The grace of God that will save a sinner like me. Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it, isn't it great when you, when you meet other believers and you, and you share your testimony with one another? I mean, I was sharing my testimony. They were sharing their testimony. Our beloved family of God from Montana and just uh, the, the wicked sinful life they had lived in the past and I lived in the past. And here we are. They're from Montana and I'm from Harrow, Oklahoma. And here we are in Oklahoma City worshiping Christ together. Why? Because of His resurrection. Because of who He is. He transformed sinners. And that goes for all of us. I mean, we've all got different backgrounds. I'm getting to know you guys. And here we are. I mean, and we ain't got nothing fancy to offer you here, do we? But we got Christ. Christ forgives sinners. That's what it's all about. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here to, 
You know, because we're better than other people, we're here because Jesus has saved us. He's forgiven us for our sins. And He could do the same for you today if you don't know Him. He's a merciful Savior. And so, lastly, uh, in verse 41, point number four, how will you respond? Remember what I said the main point was of the sermon? That, that the resurrection of Christ is the most... Uh, let, let me just read it again, guys. I had it written down. The resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest historical event ever and it demands a response from you. Okay? And just know this. To not respond is to respond. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. So a person could say, well, I'm not, I'm not against Christ. I'm just not following Him. I'm just not with Him. Jesus said, you're either with Him or against Him. And so it demands a response from all of us. And so, fourthly, we see, we see we see the men of Nineveh repenting is what we see. Okay? So, fourthly, how will you respond? Let's read verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So it says... Let me read that again. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Listen to what John Gill says, the old Reformed Baptist preacher in his commentary, uh, talking about this phrase where it says um, that these men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it. I like the way John Gill uh, explains this. He says, as far as them condemning it, not as, ju- not as judges of them, but by their examples and practices, which will be brought above board and observed as an aggravation of the guilt and condemnation of the Jews. So the fact that these men of Nineveh repented, it's going to be used as an aggravation of the guilt and condemnation of the Jews somehow on that day. So he says this, so the lives and conversations of the saints, of, of, of believers, the lives and conversations of the saints condemn the wicked now and will do hereafter. Does that make sense? So, So the... Just the, the, the life that the true Christian lives, it's an, it can be an aggravation to the ungodly. In this life, but not only in this life, but on that day. I mean, that's what Jesus said. Something's going to happen on that day. There's going to be an, there's going to be an aggravation that, that they repented and I didn't. I don't know what it's going to be like. But that's what Christ says. And so, beloved, why is this statement? Why is this statement so significant that I just read uh, that John Gill described these these men of Nineveh uh, on the day of judgment condemning these Jews? Why is this so significant here? This whole language here. 
What makes it so significant? Because something greater than Jonah is here. That's what makes this so unbelievable when we look at it. That something greater than Jonah is here. These men repented. These men in Nineveh repented at the preaching of a man who hated them, for one. But let me just show you some of the ways that we'll break that last little phrase down in verse 41. Something greater than Jonah is here. So these men of Nineveh, okay, not only Gentiles, but they were apart from... They, they were uh, or not only Gentiles and being Gentiles apart from God's covenant and law, but they were exceedingly wicked and violent. You remember how we talked about them last week? How these, how these people in Assyria would, would, they, they, they would cut the lips off their victims. They would flay them while they're alive. These are the type of people that repented. Wicked, violent people. People... Just that, uh, just that de- we think of the depraved human heart. Jonah, Jonah preached judgment only. He despised them, and I, and I want to make one uh, somewhat of a correction from something I said last week. After doing more reading this week, you know, sometimes you say something and then you study more, and you're like, uh, maybe I was a little off there. I really don't know if I was or not because there's some different views. But when we, the text in Jonah says, the only, the only thing it says he preached was, in 40 days, this place is going to be destroyed. Last week I said his message more than likely probably included a message of repentance, and maybe it did. All we know is they repented. And commentators disagree on that. Some of them, some of them say, yeah, it, it probably implies that he preached some kind of message of repentance. But the text only says he preached a message of doom. But the, but the fact is, the one thing we know is they did repent. And we know God grants repentance. So I just wanted to make that clear that maybe I jumped the gun a little bit. But either way, they repented. We know that He preached a message of doom. We know that He was a racist man, prejudiced man. He didn't like the people He's preaching to. It took Him being swallowed by a fish to go do it. But the fact is, is Jonah preached judgment only and he despised them. He performed no miracles. And he preached a message of doom. He was a mere man. And he was a sinner. He was a sinful man. He was a single, lonely prophet walking through this vast city. 600,000 people, they say, estimated. He was a stranger in a foreign land, right? We talked about that. They're going to be going, what kind of authority does this man have? And it was a short stay. And he told him you have 40, 40 days, in other words, to repent. This, this place, God's going to bring judgment on this place for your wickedness. And guess what? In spite of all that, what does the text say? They repented. They repented. As compared to Israel, the chosen people of God, given the covenants, the promises, the law, who visited them? Wasn't a sinful man. It was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He came not to strangers, but to His own, the Bible says in John 1.12. He came to His own, the Jewish nation. 
He preached for three years, right? And then his apostles after him. He preached with humility. Remember what Jesus says, come to me. And the message is the same today. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the message Jesus preached to the crowds, and that's the message He preaches here today. Come to me. This is not, we don't have a message of doom. We have a message of hope that Christ is risen from the dead and sinners can come to the foot of the cross and be forgiven for all your sin, no matter what kind of wicked life you have lived. We're all just a bunch of wicked people who have been forgiven and transformed by the grace of God. Are we not? If you're not, you need to be. Because you are a... The Bible describes us as wicked. It says the heart is deceitful above all things. You ever heard that? People, God knows my heart. Yeah, He does. And He says it's wicked. And so that's why you need a new one. But that's who the church is. We're people who've been given a new heart... New desires, new affections. We now love Christ. We love God. And we love other people. And we want people to know this Christ who can forgive, who can save. Six closer than a brother. You have people in your life forsaking you and betraying you. Jesus will never betray you if you come to Him. He says, whoever comes to Me, I'll never cast out. Come to Him today. But that's the message, right? The Son of God came... For three years preaching this message of love and compassion. Yes, of repentance. Yes, He confronted people and their sin. But He gave them hope. Come to the living waters. Come and drink of the living waters and find eternal life. He performed thousands of miracles compared to Jonah's zero. And He gave them 40 years to repent. Until A.D. 70 when judgment finally came upon Israel for the rejection of their Messiah. And guess what? As a whole, they didn't repent. There were some who did. Some who did. We think of the Apostle Paul and others. But as a whole, the nation of Israel did not repent. That's what Christ is saying In verse 41, I'll read it one more time. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. They have the light of the world in their midst. Right? The one who said, I have come into this world as light so that whoever believes in Me will not remain in darkness. You hear the promise in that? That outside of Christ, you are in darkness. And He promises that if you come to Him, you will no longer be in darkness. But you will have the light of life. So they have the light of the world in their midst and they will be judged by that light. So there's always always a warning with the Gospel. It's a... The Word of God is a two-edged sword, man. It's got promises for the repentant but for those who are unrepentant, you will be you have the light of God's word, which is a blessing and a curse. Because if you don't repent, you're going to be judged by that very truth of that word. And so for the Christian, right? The resurrection is our great hope. Is it not? What did Peter say in uh, chapter 1, verse 3? I remember that when we went through Peter, that we are born again to a living hope. 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is our great hope. Our salvation is secure because Christ is risen. Christ is risen from the dead. Our salvation is secure. Death is defeated. Death is defeated. Can you hear the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15? Oh, death, where is your victory? You know, he was taunting death in that verse. He was taunting death because he knew the one who conquered death. So Christ was declared the Son of God with power by His resurrection. Paul tells us in Romans 1. So the resurrection is our living hope. But like the Jewish leaders, okay? Like these Jewish leaders that we read about today. For some, the resurrection will not be a glorious reality of eternal life, but the guarantee of judgment. And I'm going to close with Acts 17, 30 and 31. Paul preaching in Athens. He says this, Now God is declaring, okay? Or God is commanding. This is not a suggestion from God. But He is commanding to men that all people everywhere should repent. What is repentance? Turning from your sin. It's having a change of mind about who you are. Okay, The Bible says we're not good. We're sinful. There's none righteous. No, not one. We are dead in our sins. Repentance is a change of mind which leads to a change of direction. We turn from our sin to Christ. And so it says, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Why? Because God has fixed a day. He has appointed a day. It's fixed, okay? We use that phrase, it's fixed in stone. Guys, there is a day that is fixed. It is fixed just as much so as the day of your birth when you were born. It is fixed. There's a day, He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. Through a man. He's going to judge the world through a man whom He has appointed. He has appointed this man. And having furnished proof, having furnished a sign, proof to all men by raising this man from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is our greatest hope. Everybody sitting here Everybody who ever hears this message, it is the greatest hope for mankind. Eternal life is open for sinners, guys. It's the greatest hope we have, but, but the resurrection of Christ will, in the end, sadly, be some people's worst nightmare. Because God is fixed today to judge this world through that man whom He raised from the dead. And he, and, he, and, he, and he gave us proof. He gave us a sign. Do you want to know how we can know that God is going to judge this world? Through His resurrection. That's what He's saying. He's given us proof. He's furnished a sign to all men by raising His Son from the dead. So in closing, He will be judged then on that day. Jesus Christ will be judged on that day. But now... Now He's still open to be your Savior and your Lord if you do not know Him. He's inviting you. You know the Gospel? It's, it's, it's both a command and it, we see it in Scripture. It's a command to repent, but we also see Christ inviting sinners to come. Come to Him today if you do not know Him. Come to Him today. Come to the One who laid down His life, 
who bore the wrath of God. And you, you think about your sinful life. It's always good for us to do as believers too. Think about your sinful life. And all the sins you've committed in word, thought, deed, all your secret sins, your thoughts. Nobody knows about, but God does. And when Christ was upon the cross, He didn't die for His own sin. He was without sin. He knew no sin. But for our sake, He made Him, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin in our behalf. God imputed, He placed your sin upon Christ if you would repent and believe. All of, the, all of those who repent and believe, our sin was imputed to Him, laid upon Him, and He died for Him in agony and blood, bearing the wrath of God. He cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? The Bible says it was pleased for the Lord, the Father, to crush Him, putting Him to grief. Why? So that He could be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. That means God can legally forgive your sin and remain just. He's a just and holy God. He's not going to let sin go unpunished. Your sin's not going to go unpunished. Either you'll pay for your sin in an eternal hell, or trust the one who paid for it on Calvary. That's the options we have. That's the options we have. And then, of course, we've spent the whole morning talking, or the whole afternoon talking about the resurrection. He rose for our justification, demonstrating He was who He said He was. The Father accepted the sacrifice from the Son, and now eternal life is offered for wicked, wretched sinners like you and like me. How will you respond to Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for, your resur- for the resurrection of Your Son, Lord. We thank You that You're a merciful God. We thank You, Lord, that You died for sinners. You died for the ungodly. You didn't die for good people. There are none. So, Lord, I just pray that Father, if there's any here who do not know You, Lord, that You would draw them by Your grace, that they would run to You, run to Your arms, that they would cry out to You to save them, to forgive them. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Lord, I pray Your Spirit would prick the hearts, Lord, of those who do not know You, Lord, and that You would save them. I pray for those who do know You, Lord, that we would As Shiloh was saying, Lord, that we would continue to remind ourselves that You would remind us in Your Word of Your saving Gospel. Lord, reminding us who we were and reminding us of who we are in Christ and that our only only boast is in You. Our only boast is in Christ and that we're not to boast for our wisdom or our riches or our might, but we are to boast that we know You. And that is our only boast. And we thank You, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that we will uh, be able to sing this song, this last song, Lord, uh, in response to what we've heard today. It's all because of You and because You live. We love You and praise You. In Christ's name, Amen.